Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, December 23, right at the dawn of Christmas Eve. I am with you, Mike Abadir, the host of The Mike Abadir Show, of course. Happy to be able to talk sports with all of the listeners out there that have been loyal to the show. You must be loyal to the show if you're listening uh, right before Christmas. Hope everybody has a blessed holiday season uh, and remembers what the purpose of this holiday is to welcome in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's about all the evangelizing I am going to do today. So let's get on with sports talk. What this holiday period is going to be known for, unfortunately, is a massive COVID outbreak amongst the players. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about this last week. But boy, I did not expect that there would be so many players missing ball games cancellation of games in college, in the NHL, teams decimated by COVID positives in the National Football League and in the NBA. I believe some of these teams have more than 10 players on the COVID list. The Saints lose not just their current starting quarterback, Hill, their backup, Simeon, Now, and that's besides the fact that they lost Jameis Winston earlier in the year, they may have to start a rookie quarterback who is virtually unknown in terms of he's not taking a snap in the National Football League as of yet. He is a rookie from Notre Dame named Ian Book. So he's going to be preparing to make his NFL debut on none other than Monday Night Football against the hottest team in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins whose defense is absolutely rolling. Now, the Saints also had to add to the COVID list a bunch of other players. Offensive tackle Jordan Mills, guard James Carpenter. That's not going to be helpful for a rookie starting quarterback who is going to be facing an NFL defense for the very first time in his life. Uh, On the defensive side, they're going to be missing linebacker Caden Ellis, safety Jeff Heath, defensive end Jalen Holmes, D-tackle Christian Ringo, You guys get the point. There are a lot of guys that are on this list, including head coach Sean Payton. He's not been there since last Friday because of a COVID positive test. At that time, they also placed tight ends, Adam Troutman and Juwan Johnson on the COVID list. So Saints are decimated. I mean, Alvin Kamara, by the way, is the emergency quarterback. So if anything happens to book, we're going to see Kamara dropping back, dropping some bombs on uh, on the Dolphins' defense, which would be kind of co- cool to see, I suppose, uh, but definitely not what he's uh, you know brought in to do, so to speak. I'm looking here at the – it's like every minute there is more news coming through and trickling through uh, Timberwolves. Absolutely decimated Carl Anthony Towns. He joined six other teammates in the health and safety protocol of the Timberwolves. By the way, that does not necessarily mean that he tested positive. It could mean that he had exposure to somebody who was positive. And so we all know the uh, Carl Anthony Towns story. Uh, Sad kind of history with COVID, Uh, his mother, Jacqueline Cruz Towns, died at 59 years old with complications from COVID. And he may have also lost another family member. So, um, and believe me, for all the listeners out there, I am not going to be dwelling on the negatives this whole time because this is a festive time of year. It's the holidays. We should be happy and rejoicing. But nonetheless, it's a big storyline because it's going to influence and impact a lot of games. It's going to impact Playoff positioning, seeding, who gets in, who doesn't get in, you know, and 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 
teams like, let's just say the Seahawks, which have some pieces, you know, they have Russell Wilson and they got two capable wide receivers. They could be breakout wide receivers. They got a slew of running backs to evaluate. Coach Carroll is going to have a tough time evaluating his team because he's got nine other guys on the COVID list. So it just goes on and on. Whether you're in the race, not in the race, it's going to affect your ball club in some way, shape, or form, whether it be now or for the future. So this is a big, big deal. Now, with that said, very curious to get his take on what he would do if he was head coach. How would he prepare? And who is he? None other than frequent guest of the Mike Abadir show, Adrian, the Mad Backer Ross, veteran linebacker from the Cincinnati Bengals, also had a stint with the Steelers, but he's known for being the Mad Backer from the Bengals. Big A, what's going on, my man? What's going on? How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. How, how about you? I'm doing pretty good. Happy holidays and a blessed Christmas to you and your family. Let's let's get right to it, man. The, the outbreak is going to have a massive impact on NFL games, NBA, NHL, pause their season, college games are being canceled or postponed. But let's just say, and you have a lot of coaching experience at different levels, uh, not to mention the fact that you were kind of an on-field general uh, as a linebacker. But if you're preparing a team right now, and look, they always give us kind of the company line, next man up. Okay, I get that. Right. But how do you prepare <laughs> for another team, and how do you get your team ready to go when you're down some of your key players and you're looking across the field at a team without their key players, and you may not know a lot about the quarterback that's coming in or other players that are coming in. How how do you even handle all this? Yeah, I think it's a pretty uh, pretty pretty tough now. It's uncharted territories because, like how you're saying, I think the big difference at the NFL level. Um, you know, versus college, high school, each level changes. And it's the terminology. And like you're saying, your familiarity with your, your, your teammates and then the coaches with the players, you know, uh, you got the scouting department that's bringing in players uh, constantly, you know, like that was something that I didn't know until I got there. You know, it's like week, week three, week four. And then all of a sudden you see a guy's locker cleared out and, <laughs> Here's another cornerback in here. Here's another D lineman. Um, and then depending on where they're coming from, can they speak the language? And that's something that I think that when you look at some of the more successful teams in the NFL, you know, uh, throughout the years, um, you know, you look at like the Steelers defense, um, you look at the New England Patriots. And I think a lot of stuff is, is like you're saying, they're able to bring in guys that uh, know how to speak the language. And so that's a tough thing right now that I, that with, with, with the different rules, um, they have the expanded, um, they have, they have the expanded, um, what's the practice squad. Uh, you know, there's different than when I played, you know, you have these veterans that are on practice squad now, so that makes it a little bit better, but you know, I, I feel as a coach, like that's, what I'd probably be doing is we're probably going to see more. We're going to see a mix of older guys because they're able to speak the language and then just younger guys because they're available. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes you a lot know? of sense. And before you leave that point, you know, there's for, for the average fan out there, they hear that word that you use a couple of times, which is terminology for the casual fan or mm -hmm. for those who kind of want to know more, but they're kind of almost like embarrassed to ask, what does that mean? And can you give us like a, an example or a sample version of tech, uh, of how you would go about the terminology offensively and defensively? Oh yeah. You know, um, say that there's the styles of defense, say there's a four, three, there's a three, four, there's a nickel package, there's a goal line package. Well, you know, and then like how you're saying, there's a 46 man, roster for the day of the game i think that's still the same right that they they didn't add any more for the game day did they do you know no i don't i don't think that they did but like you mentioned they've uh expanded the uh, practice squad so that you can you know always have guys to bring up 
right before the game. Right. Up, so up you can bring Saturday them up and, and then actually something. Right. And then actually playing them on game day is something totally different because you need to know how many some teams don't have fullbacks or or you know is the team that has a three four are, are they going to carry more linebackers than they are tight ends? Uh, are they going to carry six wide receivers? You know you got to kind of just get down to the number of the forty six that day, but then you also have the forty six that can understand and know what the defense is. Like, I think we saw a few, like, last week or so when Chicago had their whole secondary out. And I feel, to me, you saw guys that weren't the starter, but they played very well. So I feel that they're skilled guys if you can get guys in that understand the, ter- that understand the terminology. Cover two, cover three, uh, fire zone. Like, um, me and Willie Anderson were talking about this a couple of days ago that I felt that the 3-4 system on defense is a more of a complicated one than a 4-3. And I feel that some coaches error in looking strictly at talent and bringing a guy in fast or so-and-so, like how you said, say on the offensive side. You know, the wide receivers need to know how to read the defense so that they know how to get open. And like that's one thing that we see with, like, a Cooper Cup for the Rams. You know, when you hear him speak, you can tell that he understands defense and he knows what he's going against, and that's why he's able to get open. And so that's a big part of what we're going to see is, like, people make it be more of a talent thing, but I think a big part of it is 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 being able to speak the language and, like you said, terminology. Is Someone can come from another team like Odell Beckham, but now he has to get caught up to speed with the terminology that the Rams are using in order to be effective. Makes perfect sense. And I'm glad you brought up Cooper Cup, by the way, because he is somebody that I had here in my notes that I wanted to kind of touch upon and talk about a little bit. Because you know how how it is. We're always enamored with, you know, the next Michael Jordan, the next, you know, whoever in each sport. Uh, or this guy reminds me of so-and-so rather than treat each of those guys as just the individual selves that have their own kind of like goals and, and, and ceilings to achieve. Uh, so I like to kind of reverse it sometimes rather than saying, where does somebody, you know, is Cooper cup better than Jerry rice or something like that? Mm-hmm. Because they're they're almost like ridiculous comparisons anyways because the rules are so different. They're practically playing a different game today than yesteryear. So I like to right. approach it very differently, okay? So walk with me on this quick little journey. My top five wide receivers, just off the top of my head, I'm sure I'm going to be missing some key people, but I'm looking at Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, those two Bay Area legends. Uh, are are right right up there with uh, the all-time greats. I would also put Megatron because I'd love to have seen him outside of Detroit. Uh, actually, you know what? <laughs> Let me just stop right there with those three and ask you this. How would they fare today? So rather than ask you how does somebody today, you know, uh, compare to somebody from the past, how would those guys have performed today? How many... I mean, Cooper Cup's on his way to 145 catches, which uh, I believe would be an all-time record. So let's say Rice was playing today, or Tim Brown, right? Or even Megatron, and they're playing with a decent quarterback. What would they be doing today? I mean, would it be the same kind of statistically? Would it be absolutely crushing? What What do you think? Yeah, I think that they'd be right there on the lines of... Cooper Cup's numbers, but without the extra game, <laughs> so they'd probably be doing what what he's doing without a seventeenth game. You know, uh, especially yeah. Jerry. You know, you know now mm, the Megatron. Um, you know, he's just who he is with the size anyway, and the speed. Um, you know, so he's able to play through any era. I mean, they. They all are, but I think that, like you said, those guys with the way the rules are and not being able to be hit, I mean, I think their numbers would, you know, we would see if if the same, if not better. 
And we see. Yeah, and if anybody's curious as to uh, who would also round out my top five, and that's not in any order except for Jerry Rice being one, you could kind of mix and match any of the rest of these guys. Uh, My number, you know, the fourth and fifth guys would be Randy Moss and Michael Irvin. So for me, those are the top five of all time. Now, I know Michael Irvin, statistically speaking, there are guys that have more yards than him or more touchdowns, but I argue that what he did and what he meant to the Dallas Cowboys, what he meant to Troy Aikman, opening things up more for Emmett. And, you know, they had a lot of weapons, obviously a great offensive line. They had a great fullback, Moose Johnson, a great tight end, and Novacek. You know, they they had so many different weapons. But I always felt that Michael Irvin was kind of the heart and soul of that team. He was kind of the, the vocal spokesman. Um, I've always loved Michael Irvin. So even though statistically he may not have played long enough to match Rice's numbers, I always loved him. And then statistically, obviously, Randy Moss matches up, you know, because he's mm-hmm. he had longevity. He had a little bit of a lull, you know, kind of during those Raider years, but he kind of reinvented himself and came back bigger, better than before. But that's kind of my my top five. So I guess while we're talking about it, you know, agree, disagree. Uh, I kind of sense that maybe you wouldn't have Megatron maybe in the top list there. I'm just I like Megatron. Yeah, I'm just trying to project like Yeah, you have a real good list. You have a real good list. I I would I would replace um Tim Brown with T.O. I'd put Terrell Owens in there. Um because he's right along the lines of he's like an in between uh a Jerry and a Megatron. You know, he's the big big wide out that just like produced everywhere he went. Um, you know, he could block, he could catch, go across the middle, catch and run, go deep. So um that would that would be my guy, like right there with Randy Moss. So yeah, your your list is right there. I like him. And then you know you can't go wrong with uh Tim Tim Brown, you know, the return man, a lot a lot of what he did just in just the just the return game alone. <laughs> yeah, no you doubt. Know, sets itself apart for some other guys. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know? too, because Tim Brown came into the league with with quite a bit of fanfare because that was still during, like, Notre Dame's glory years. So there were a lot of people kind of, uh, you know, eyeing Tim Brown, and, and he went to the Raiders, and the Raiders still had a lot of mystique to them and, and that type of thing. Um, they were still in Los Angeles before he, uh, right when he was drafted. And it was during the time period they had, like, Bo Jackson and stuff, so... It's kind of an interesting transitional period for the Raiders between then and and getting to Oakland. Uh, But outside of him, the interesting thing about, you know, my top five is, you know, Rice came from Mississippi State. Uh, Irvin came from the U, Miami, of course. Uh, Calvin Johnson came, that's Megatron, for those who are unsure, came from Georgia Tech. Even T.O., who you mentioned, Tennessee, Chattanooga. I mean, we're not talking about guys talking from necessarily the top tier programs. Right. <laughs> yeah, like Megatron, like where were they running the option down there? Yeah. At Tech. <laughs> yep, in Tennessee, Chattanooga. We actually played them in Colorado State, I think the year after he left. Ah. TL. So yeah, like they that's I'm very familiar with that program and that's you know, I was able to follow him a little bit because of that and obviously him being in being in the bay i think you know like you said the time that these guys arrived it's like you look at to getting there when jerry rice was there so it was like he didn't get to come in and be the guy on the team right away even though like what was it rice's last year like he broke the catch record or something with like yep. 22 catches yep. in the game and actually yep. i want you to hold that thought for a quick second do you have time to stay with us through this commercial break and uh pepper you with a few more questions yes indeed all right let's take a quick commercial timeout. we are talking to that mad backer himself adrian ross nfl vet of many years we will be back right after this quick commercial timeout Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? 
At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back on the Mike Abadir Show is Adrian the Mad Backer, Ross. At the break, actually, we were talking a little bit about some of these Notre Dame quarterbacks. That was Deshaun Kaiser, I think. That was his name, right? Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah. That's who we were thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we started talking about Notre Dame from Tim Brown. We're going to continue with a little bit of Notre Dame uh, in two regards. One, players that they've produced into the NFL, and then another, which is a team that had their star head coach leave for greener pastures although I question whether they are greener pastures or not. Um, But we'll start with the NFL version of the question first, which is there's another Notre Dame alum, didn't necessarily get a lot of fanfare coming into the NFL. He was a fourth-round draft pick for the Saints. Uh, Many probably didn't think much of it. You know, you have Breeze leaving. You have Jameis Winston coming in. You got some capable guys with some experience like Hill and Simeon. They got this kid named Ian Book, and as I said at the top of the show, the Saints are in a situation with all these COVID positives that they're probably going to have to go to him on Monday night football and then have Alvin Kamara be the emergency quarterback if needed, which would be highly interesting to see uh, You know what would happen if, if uh, Kamara has to be at the helm. But Ian Book, he's a, a Notre Dame kid. He's originally from Sacramento. I know you've scouted extensively in the Sacramento region, being that it has been your locale previously. What do you know about Ian Book? What kind of game does he have? Is he, you know, kind of a mobile quarterback or is he a drop back passer? I know he's uh, six feet tall, I think. So a lot of times those are exaggerations. It might be 5'11". Reminds me, at least size wise, of Drew Brees. Right. Yeah, I would say he'd be more more along the lines of a Drew Brees uh, with a little bit more mobility. And um, I think he showed that a lot at Notre Dame. I think he showed it a little too much. I think he (laughs) – I I always remember my dad watching that Notre Dame, and he'd always say, book, book, there he goes, taking off running. And, uh, you know, so he has the ability um, a little bit more um, to move than a a Brees. But I think in terms of – how he throws the ball and the passes and like the, the the angles on the passes. So I could see why a Sean Payton, you know, brings him into the Saints because the way he passes the ball and you think about uh, who they had at Notre Dame, you know, like when you're looking at Claypool um, and you're looking at these tight ends that uh, come out, um, they had the St. Brown, I think his name is, Equinamius, who's at Green Bay. Um, you know, he was throwing to these big wideouts. Um, and so when some of those guys left, you know, I think you saw some nice production from, um, Ian book, I would say the knock on him to me would be not, he doesn't have a cannon, you know, and which breeze didn't have a cannon. So I think that he's over in the right system. And, uh, I'm curious to watch this opportunity. Um, if he does get it, um, it's going to be tough sledding against your dolphins with the way that they come after quarterbacks, but <laughs> man talk about a team with a 
big turnaround. You know, I know Flores was getting the head coach was getting a lot of grief after they started one and seven and Tua looked kind of shaky. And so now you're kind of questioning personnel decisions. You're questioning the head coach. But these guys have been, you know, to their credit, they've been resilient. They didn't get let down. I sure as heck know that a lot of teams that start one and seven usually end up, you know, two and 14 or three and 13. Right. Never seen it where yeah. teams start at one and seven and then they get to 500 with a chance to get to the playoffs. I believe that they may even control their own fate, but don't quote me on that. But I do think if they run the table, win their next few games, at least they'll have a legitimate chance to be able to make it to the playoffs. The reason I say that, even though the teams have some teams have one more win, is because a lot of these teams are going up against each other in the next couple of weeks. So they'll knock each other out, uh, you know, or like a team like Pittsburgh right. has a tough road against Kansas City and stuff. But t- what, what are you seeing on the Dolphins defensive side that uh, excites you as a former defensive player? Oh, you know, up front, like the front seven, they 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 get after you, and then and then in the back half, you know, like the secondary, I think is uh, Xavier Howard out there, which, like you said, like in the off season, he hadn't signed, and there was all that. Would he be there? And you know, um, he's been having a great great year. But the fact of the plays that uh, Flores uh, calls, you know, I feel that it fits his personnel. You know, I feel that there's there's a lot of coaches out there that have talent on their defense and they don't necessarily call plays that fit their defense. And what I've been seeing with Flores is not only is he putting, putting the guys in, 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 in the right places, but his game plan for who he's playing changes every week. Sort of similar to where he came from New England. <laughs> Instead of some of these coaches, it just seems like they don't have a game plan, but just we're, we do this and here's our place. You know, like, I mean, that game that they came after, uh, Lamar Jackson, you don't really see teams just line up and cover zero play after play and just say, nope, try again, and we're running it again. (laughs) You know, and, you know, giving credit to him and his players, you know, they were were producing, kind of almost a la – the Denver Broncos uh, going against Cam Newton up in the Super Bowl, where they just lined up and let Von Miller and the guys come after him, and they just man to man, and they took out the hot Ravens, and they've been rolling ever since. Absolutely, the uh, that game against Lamar was truly remarkable. I mean, yeah, what they were able to do in that game was just like wow. And I don't know if Lamar's been the same since then. What what have you seen from Lamar's game? Yeah, it's been uh it's been tough for him because, you know, that that there's been I don't know if the Niners did it first, um, but I know the Dolphins, you know, really uh, perfected it. And now um they've you know, they've been being I think the most blitzed uh blitzed offense because of how they're running it and, you know, with, with the tight end and the formations that they're getting in, they've, uh, (laughs) they're trying to, you know, keep, they're trying to make him make decisions real fast, you know? And, uh, for some reason, Greg Roman and the Ravens couldn't, couldn't figure it out. And that was very uh, surprising with the uh, talented team that they've had. But like you said, you know, we have, there's COVID where certain guys that, that are, you know, I think like uh, Ricard, their big fullback that they use, and they've, you know, they've been uh, depleted up in the running back, uh, you know, up in the backfield. They've been bringing different guys in. Linemen have been in and out. So that all plays a part, and obviously their their whole secondary has been um, uh, depleted due to injury. But that's that's we weren't supposed to see what we're seeing from the Ravens on offense, you know, and them especially going up against the Dolphins. So everybody thought, but like you said, we're seeing with, I guess, what a seven game winning streak, you know, it, it wasn't just a fluke. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't a fluke. And I want to uh, talk about a team that you just mentioned a moment ago. They're actually playing in a few minutes here, which is the San Francisco 49ers of Santa Clara. They, 
are kind of a surprising eight and six. And the reason I say surprising is because to me, in my mind, at least it doesn't seem like they're necessarily having a great season or anything like that. But then when I look at the record, I'm like, wow, they're eight, eight and six. Shanahan and company have put themselves in a position to be able to compete for a playoff spot. The one thing that I'm unsure about, though, is what is their identity? Because it seems like every week there is a different unit that looks good while the other's not so good. And what I'm talking about is, you know, coming into this year, I thought of them as a defensive team, you know, with Bosa and company putting a lot of pressure on uh, opposing quarterbacks, making them make mistakes. And uh, for a lot of the season, the defense wasn't really that great. Some games, Jimmy G looks like a pretty decent NFL starting quarterback. Other times he reverts back to what was he thinking? <laughs> Why did he ma- try even that <laughs> pass? You know, uh, some games it's like the running game looks really good. Other games, they can't get anything going. Other, other weeks, Kittle is carrying the team. It's kind of inconsistent in terms of who steps up. So, I mean, what do you make of all that? So, I mean, what do you? Make what, of is this a good team? Yeah. Is this a dangerous team? Uh, and and why do you think there's there's so much like inconsistency? Is it because they're just so good that they have so many players that can step up, or or what are your thoughts about the San Francisco 49ers? I think just like how you're saying with them is like they were they're a solid team with solid coaching, but um, they they have the injury bug. You know, I mean, you know, you look at the running back, you had Mostart, you know, in in who he is and what he can do, and he's out. And you get another, you get a a replacement, and then that replacement goes out. So, which a bulk of their offense is that run game, the run game and the play action. And then, you know, they're also using their number one wide out as a running back in Debo Samuel. And then... Even even the year before, you know, I don't know, like if you ever noticed, but if 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 Debo didn't really play, those were some of the L's that they would take, you know, and and with your number one wideout having to run the ball a lot for me, I think this is a part of why they're up and down is because he's up and down in the lineup, and his health is going to be up and down because you're using a wideout to run to run the ball and he's tough. And he's tough and all that, and and I feel that for me, the the play calling from Shanahan, um, it's it's it has a few. It's it's old school, new school. I call it. It's like it's like his dad. The stuff they ran in Denver, the stuff we ran in college with the zone reads, stuff we ran in Colorado State, um, where you're using the tight end, you're using the fullback. They have a real good fullback, a really really good tight end, and same thing. Tight end's been out. So it's tough to have an offense with the with with the play fakes and the run game when you keep having to have a different running back. You keep having to have different wide receivers. So I think that's why we see the the different play. And like how you said, they're a surprise eight and six because you kind of look at them as like mm, they're supposed to be this team, but I don't think they never really have had their full team as well on defense in terms of the secondary. The secondary surprisingly hasn't done as well. Um, they still haven't really found the cornerbacks. I think the cornerback that they want to go with, I think he tore his knee, um, and they've been kind of trying to figure out who can play out there the whole year. Yeah, absolutely right. And I, I want to. You keep giving us all these nuggets of information that I want to expand upon. And you were talking about Debo, and uh, for fantasy football players, he's been an absolute dream. So if you picked Debo Samuel. Congrats on a fantastic uh, fantasy pick. But in real life, you often see running backs who are good receivers. You know, they could even, you know, a lot of teams even motion them and have them run routes. Like they're not even disguising it. Like they're using him as a wide receiver. You know, Alvin Kamara is Mm -hmm. really, really good at that. But you don't see a lot of receivers start taking double-digit carries in a game. We started seeing it early in the year with Corderell Patterson from the Atlanta Falcons. And I don't know if this is kind of one of those things where they saw the success that the Falcons had and are like, hey, we could do that with him. We do know that the NFL is a copycat league, so I would not be surprised if next year we see four or five Debos or four or five Corderells or maybe even more. 
do you think this is a good usage of a wide receiver who doesn't necessarily have the frame to take the pounding? You know, is this a smart move, I guess, is the question. I would say for the team, yes. And, you know, us, for the player, no. Because I'll ask you, you know, who makes more money, running backs or wide receivers in terms of contracts? Good point. You know, so kind of like with uh, Jimmy Graham a few years ago, I think that's going to be, that would be a problem for me if I'm Debo Samuel right now. You know, is you're giving me, you're paying me like a wideout, but you're running me like a running back. So when it comes contract time, how are they going to pay these guys? <laughs> because great, great point. You know, because I'd want to be paid as a wide receiver, hit. not a running back. And by the way, that was what uh, Le'Veon Bell was saying. If you recall back when he was still, you know, a, like a serious weapon with the Steelers, his whole thing, which ended up leading to him sitting out a whole year and moving, being moved on from, from Pittsburgh was I want to get paid as a wide receiver. Not as a running back. I put up numbers that exceed wide receiver numbers. So why not? <laughs> right? So you're definitely on to something, Big A. Unfortunately, we are up against commercial breakouts all the time we have. Big A, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find the Madbacker? Oh, hit me up at Adrian Ross at any platform or Madbacker on Twitter. M-A-D-D-B-A-C-K-E-R. And on YouTube. YouTube channel. Check out the Merck session. <laughs> Are those uh, coming weekly or sporadically or? Uh, pretty much weekly. Like, you know, as soon as there's a good NFL game where, you know, we see some poor defense and we see a good, good run game. Anybody that wants to learn. <laughs> yeah. Anybody wants to learn some, some serious football analysis and to, to get information that, you know, they don't, that's not cupcake like ESPN or, or even NFL networks. There's some real analysis from a guy who's been there, who doesn't hold back, who doesn't have to worry about, you know, NFL ratings and, and not pissing off our sponsors and this and that Adrian delivers it as it really is, as he sees it on the playing field, lots of experience as a player and as a coach. Big A, thank you so much as always. Definitely appreciate having you on with us. Have a very merry and blessed Christmas holiday season for you and your family, my friend. I appreciate it. You you too, brother. Happy holidays. Thank you, sir. That is the Madbacker, Adrian Ross, former Cincinnati Bengals linebacker. He was one of the harder-hitting linebackers of his time in his era. Check him out on social media. Check him out on YouTube. Stay with us. We will be back right after this quick commercial timeout. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to mike at the mike 
Now, back to this week's program. So I'm actually coming to you guys live from Las Vegas. I'm here for the uh, Christmas holiday with uh, some family, you know, my father and uh, my main gal, Cheryl. And, you know, when I look at Las Vegas and the growth and all the casinos everywhere and how successful the city is, especially during, you know, non-COVID periods, but it's still pretty crowded today, I'd say, for the holiday uh, that's coming up here. But... I look at it and, and tell myself they built this. The foundation of it was sports wagering table games as well, of course, but a lot of the big money came in through sports wagering. And so when I see a game like this weekend's game between the Packers and the Browns. Okay. And I see the 83% of the money wagered on this game is on the Packers minus seven and a half. Let me repeat that. 83% of the money is on the Packers. Now I'm not trying to play contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian, but do you think that Vegas became Las Vegas by getting it wrong and paying out 83% of the public on a game? Do you think that they messed up that badly on the line that 83% of betters out there are going to take advantage? I think not. I think not. I don't care how many COVID positives they have. The Browns getting seven and a half points. Yes, it's at Lambeau Field. But I'm going to bet that Las Vegas is right. And not the betters. Hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't think so, though. Like I said, and hey, maybe by the time kickoff comes, maybe it balances out a little bit more. But that's a hugely high total for a Thursday night uh, on the eve of an NFL weekend. On the eve of a Thursday night football game between the Titans and the 49ers. But that, to me, is very glaring You know, for all the sports betters that listen to this show. Yeah, take a look at that. The other one with a pretty high percentage, too, is the Bucks on the road in Carolina. 81% of the money is on the Buccaneers. Now, keep in mind, they're without Leonard Fournette, who's been an absolute beast this year. They're without Godwin, who's arguably their best wide receiver. Mike Evans, who, if we argued about the best receiver, it would be the argument between Godwin and Mike Evans. Mike Evans has a, I believe, a hamstring. Besides all the other COVID positive issues that they've got. So now you got the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton, who is going to be competing for a job. I believe they're going to start Darnold the week after. So in, in essence, this is a audition between Cam and Darnold, between Cam and his future, between Cam and the Panthers. Between Cam and the rest of the league, this is a full-blown audition. Ten points. Yeah, I get it, Tom Brady. Yeah, I get it. They kind of need to win to stay close to atop the NFC. They want that bye. But they could still win and not cover ten. Again, 81% of the money is on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going the other way. I'm going to take the 10 points with the Panthers while I'm here in Las Vegas and hopefully be cashing at the ticket line come 4 p.m. Pacific time because I just don't see Vegas getting it wrong that dramatically. So with that said, let's continue with some picks. I know that we've had some very full shows over the last few weeks, so haven't been able to get in some selections so I spent extra time to prepare and to allot some time towards the end of the show for some selections. If you love them, you want to play them, pound them. You don't go against them. I hope you win. Here is the rest of what I like. Arizona Cardinals and the Colts seem to be going in different directions. Now, there's a lot of hype about the Colts. They're just about everybody's 
supposed dark horse team. Look out for the Colts. They are a complete package. They are playing lights out. They can run the ball. They've got a hard-hitting defense. This is the team that could come out of the AFC as a surprise, blah, 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 blah. Cardinals got off to a roaring start. They've hit a little bit of a lull, right? Amazingly, they're still 10-4, and four, even though Kyler Murray's been out for, you know, he missed a lot of games. And they had Colt McCoy at the helm. And they're still winning with him, which just tells me that their defense is really, really good because they've also been without their top wideout, DeAndre Hopkins. They've been without their top running back, Chase Edmonds. So the fact that they're still winning, the fact that they're 10 and 4, it it does not bother me as much that they lost to the lowly Detroit Lions. Look, the Lions have been fairly competitive this year. They've had a lot of hard luck losses. I mean, uh, just about every game, it seems, they lose when the clock clicks at zero, a field goal is going through the back of the net. So the Lions haven't been an absolute, you know, ter- like they're probably, I know this sounds crazy, but probably the best one in whatever team, <laughs> one in 12 or whatever the heck they were going into that game. Um, so I'm going to give Arizona a pass. Well, they're going up head to head against each other, the Colts and the Cardinals. The Cardinals at home, are one-point favorites. Now, mind you, I still think overall the NFC is stronger than the AFC. AFC's got a lot of parity. ton of parity. You have to have a lot of parity if you're going to let a 1-7 in seven Miami Dolphins team get back into the race. Even with an added seventh playoff team. The NFC at the top is pretty strong. You know, with the with the Packers and and the Bucks, of course, uh, being probably you know the two toughest. You know, the Rams are real tough. The Niners, we spent some time talking about them. You know, there there are the Cowboys, of course. I know a lot of Cowboys fans listen in. The NFC's got some really really good teams. So for the Cardinals to be leading that NFC West division, which you know I'd say arguably them, the AFC West and the AFC. Uh, North are maybe the three best divisions, but the Cardinals is, is, are leading in the NFC West division. And so, and they've got the best record of any of those divisions that I mentioned. So they're a legit team and they're only one point favorites at home. I think people may be, Jumping on the Colts bandwagon a little bit too hard, a little bit too fast. They may be slightly, what's the word, overrated. And I get, I get it. Jonathan Taylor has been absolutely, probably since Derrick Henry went out, he's probably been the most dominant weapon as a running back in the entire NFL. He's a 1,500-yard rusher. You know, he's been controlling the clock. He's been a touchdown-making machine. He's got 17 on the ground. And uh, he's got a couple more receiving. He's a dual-threat-type player. So there's a lot to like about the Colts. But there are two things that I always look at when I'm looking at such a thing. Number one is, let's take a look at some of their recent wins. And then number two, dome teams typically don't fare well in the playoffs, even when they have home field advantage. They typically just don't fare well. Look at how many times the Vikings have faltered. The Houston Oilers, when they were the Houston Oilers in the dome and faltered. The Saints have been a one seed or a top two seed, and I've wanted them to go to the Super Bowl so badly, but they've faltered. Dome teams typically just don't bear well come playoff time, especially when they go on the road. I'm not anti-Colts. I think they're a cool team, but let's not forget, they're led by Carson Wentz. Okay, and he is what he is, which is an average NFL starting quarterback. So, I led off by saying, let's look at some of their wins. 
Okay, let's go back to the middle of October. That gives us a nice sample size of about eight games. They beat Houston twice, 31-3 and 31-0. Nice win against San Francisco when the 49ers are really, really beat up, 30-18. They lost to Tennessee. Then they came back and beat the Jets, Jacksonville, a slumping Buffalo, and then they lost to Tampa. And then the most recent win was uh, the, uh, well, they got beat Houston 31-0. And then the most recent win, which is after their bye week, which is the one that really got people kind of their eyes open, which is them beating the New England Patriots in that Saturday night game last weekend. And the Patriots, yes, they're definitely one of the better teams in the AFC. They've uh, really propelled themselves very quickly. If you want to call it a rebuild, Belichick has done a tremendous job. I'm not scared of the Patriots. I don't think they're a scary team. I don't think that they're, you know, an all-time defense. They're definitely not a terrific offense. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what we're what we're looking at. A couple of Houston wins, Jets, Jacksonville. Losses to Tennessee and to Tampa. I don't know, man. I don't know about the Colts. I'm not as high on them as everybody else. I'll take the Cardinals getting one point or giving one point at home. Basically, who's going to win the game? Give me the Arizona Cardinals to round off my top selections. So that is almost a wrap for this Christmas Eve show. I hope everybody has a very, very safe and blessed holiday. Enjoy all of the food and festivities and family time, hopefully, that you're able to have during this outbreak. You know, definitely stay safe. Hope you win a few bucks on wagering some of these games if you're in a state that allows them or if you've got another method that uh, get in some wagers. Also, there's fantasy football playoffs. So this is going into round number two, the week when all the teams that had bye weeks now come into play, minus probably a lot of key players. I know my team is without key players. So good luck to you all. Anyways, Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you same time, same place next weekend. Have a tremendous sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.